Hi guys, welcome to the So Thanks Mom podcast where we talk about our parents, our parenting, and everything in between. I'm Jess. I'm Allison. And today we are going to be talking about our teen years, how we were raised differently, but why we're raising our children the same today. So let's jump right into it. I was raised with old school parenting my entire life and had tumultuous teenage existence to say the least. It was not easy at all. And then when I started parenting, I've never read parenting books. I've never done any of that. But when I started parenting and my kids would have tough moments, it would literally take me back to when I had those moments with my parents. And I would truly usually do the opposite of what they did with me because I know how it affected me and my relationship with them. And that's how all of this started. Um, and like you, when I got on TikTok, I didn't know it was called respectful parenting at all. Like that was a whole new world when I got on here. But, yeah. I I didn't know about gentle parenting either. I didn't know that that was what it was called. I hadn't like heard of it, but I had told stories about my childhood and my mom. And then somebody made a video about being raised with gentle parenting and I got tagged in it so many times. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that was me too. (laughs) Both of your parents use respectful parenting or was it just your mom? So it was mostly, so it's, I feel bad saying this because my dad was a really good example of somebody who just kept putting in the work, who yeah. just kept showing up, who like learned along the way. Right. And the reason I talk about my mom so much more is because in the difficult moments, and for me, there was many, like there was many difficult moments with me. My mom always took the lead yeah. uh, or was the one who handled them, you know? And so I do talk about my mom a lot more for that particular reason. Right. Um, But my dad is a really good example of somebody who just kept showing up and doing better. And he apologized. There was a lot of apologies. There was a lot doing better the next time. And then, you know, even to this day, he still continues to take steps towards that direction, especially, you know, with my own kids. And um, we spend a lot of time with my parents. So, Yeah. yeah, he... He's a really good example of somebody who learned along the way. And see, I love that because when I, I never heard an apology from my parents with my mom, she, I'm not going to talk about her personal stuff, but she struggled a lot with depression and things like that. So my entire childhood, I really only remember my dad. He coached Mm -hmm. the basketball team and the softball team, and he showed up to everything, every school event, he was always there. And, but he didn't show his love with apologies. He'd be like, let's go get a milkshake. Let's go do whatever. And they were still in that old school mindset of, um, I said it, you do it. And when you become a teenager and you start getting older that you don't want to hear that you want to hear, um, uh, well, you want to be heard. And I was never heard because my parents would always speak over me, especially my dad, because he's old school Italian. And that's just kids didn't talk. They didn't have a voice. And I grew up like that. And what it did when I started getting into my teenage years, it made me not tell them anything not tell them anything, lie to them, sneak out, do all kinds of bad stuff. My parents had no clue what I was doing ever, ever. And I think that's a big difference with that, with this parenting. Do my kids tell me every, everything? No, nobody tells everything, but they come to me with the tough stuff with friendships and relationships and their relationships with each other. And I always wanted that. I always wish that I had that, you know, my siblings and I, it was tough. It was very tough. And I did have so much of that, like with, uh, with my mom, I told her literally everything, you yeah. know, all the 
time because you can, because when you're yep. safe with somebody, when you know that they won't judge you. And it's funny now, because even some of the stuff that I told my mom, like she never reacted to anything. Like she never like got angry or whatever. And we were talking about like one thing in particular. And she was like, I remember you saying that to me and me just sitting there. Like, I can't believe my daughter just said that out loud. <laughs> like, me everything, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's how it is with my kids. I used to, I can remember being a teenager and watching how my girlfriends were with their moms, like had cute little fun shopping days or like could talk to them about boyfriends. I turned into a different person around my parents when I would come home or even like if I was home alone and I would see my parents pulling up, I changed because I knew who I had to be in front of them and it was so exhausting. And because I had to be someone else when I was around them, it led us to not have a good relationship because I was building resentment I didn't feel at home in my home. I didn't feel like my room was mine. I didn't feel, I felt like they were the parents over here. I was the kid over here because my siblings were much older. So they were already out of the house. Um, it just felt very separate. It never felt like we were a unit. It felt like them against me. Yeah. That's how it always felt. And that was a really lonely feeling. And it made me angry. Yeah. I was very angry. Um, even though I love my parents deeply because I really believe they did everything they knew to do because neither one of them had great examples as parents you know what I mean yeah um it was really hard and I never wanted that for my girls I always wanted them to feel comfortable talking to me even if it was a difficult conversation and even that sometimes they text me sometimes they don't want to talk and do it face to face because it's a difficult and that's okay you can text you can write me a letter you can do it when you're ready but my parents would attack it like I want to know what's going on and you're going to tell me right now and it just made me feel defeated. It made me feel completely defeated. And you know what's something that's interesting about like you and your relationship with your girls that I specifically remember about like my relationship with my mom? Because one of the biggest misconceptions that I think people have is that like the kids that are gentle parented are the ones who like cuss their parents out, like that you see in public that have no respect for their parents. And I was a teenager and I remember like one year for Christmas because so I wrote a lot. My mom like always encouraged me to write because I'd yeah. And one year for Christmas, like I didn't have any money or anything, but I wanted to like get my mom something really nice. So I wrote her this like long letter about like how much she meant to me and how like, like appreciative I was of her. And like, that was me as a teenager. Like that was my thoughts and feelings towards my mom as a teen, which is completely opposite of what I keep hearing people say is how they picture these like parented teenagers and I'm like no we were close and we're still so close and my kids are close and my whole family's close and um and you know it and similarly to how you remember like being difficult and that's why you have so much empathy for your kids it's similar to me as I was very difficult in a lot of ways and it gives me a lot of insight as to why kids might behave a certain way and what's actually going on and like the last thing that you want to do understand that is punish them for yes. and I wasn't punished for struggling um yeah. which was very different back then is that's like, funny you said that because one of my favorite gifts from my teenagers it was I think it was like three years ago they made me this jar I still have it downstairs and they put a hundred things that they loved about me in it handwritten wrote it on paper and it was the sweetest it it touched me so much because I felt those things for my mom, but I had so much resentment. I didn't want to tell her. Like I was so angry at them. Um, 
I didn't want to be nice. I didn't want to help. I didn't want to help him with the groceries. I didn't want to do any of that because I was so angry all the time. And um, not that my kids don't get irritated with me, but they don't raise their voice to me. They don't, and I don't do that to them. I didn't do that to them. You know, when you, when I had my dad yelling at me all the time for stuff and trying to intimidate me into listening, um, it felt, it hurt me. When you have someone you love so much, not trying to understand, but yelling at you. And I would, I can picture my dad's face now as like, a tween and a teen and him screaming at me, it literally would break my heart. And I was like, I'm never doing that to my kids. And mm -hmm. I really feel like because I treated them with respect, they treat me that way too. We don't have arguments. Of course they get on each other's nerves because they're teenagers, but they handle it so well. Like they're doing things now at 16, 17, 18. I couldn't do till I was almost 30, honestly, in relationships and calming myself and all of that. It's, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that too, is because, so when I was like in college, uh, my parents went through a really hard time and my mom went through a really hard time, uh, specifically, and well, they both did, but, um, I remember feeling like she was like so different, you know, like she was, and the way that I responded to her was with anger too. Like, I was like, Oh God, like you're so difficult to be, you know, like I was like exactly how you're explaining it because, you know, not every single moment is rainbow right. and butterflies. Yep, like, yep. And me and my mom got along so well. There was like so much laughter and all of that. Oh, but I love that. a few times, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Nobody's perfect. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, even to this day, we still have, we still fight here and there. But the yeah. thing is that when you are safe with somebody, you can, fight with them you can argue with them and you can know that it's not going to affect your relationship yep it's not going to make like it's not going to be held against you later right it's thrown in your face it's not going to be thrown in your face um and you know that nobody's going to be taking like these horrible toxic low blows like you really just are going to have an argument and move on and make up and it's going to be okay um and I think that's another thing that people think it's like, oh, come on. It's not really like great all the time. And it's like, yeah, but the thing is, is that when it's not great, it's not toxic either. Right. And exactly. It, it, there is, there's, it, it is healthy to be able to argue and still feel safe and, to and, and, and argue in a healthy way too. I just had a, one of my children had asked me something that I was adamantly against. Like I was just, I knew I wasn't having it. I did not respond well. I usually really think um, before I respond, but this time I didn't, I was like, girl, what are you thinking? Like, that's what I said. And I was like, I should not have said that. And she was upset. So I texted her. I said, I am so sorry that I reacted that way. I was just very shocked when you asked me that. And it, it concerned me, you know, and we talked through it. And by the end of the text, it was, I love you. I love you too. What, and it was fine, but I never, I was never afforded that opportunity because when my parents were over it, I was supposed to be over it. And when you have someone screaming at you or berating you or doing that, I wasn't always over it when they were. So the next day, if I was in a bad mood, they would really, what's wrong with you? You have another attitude, your stomach hurts again. Well, yeah, cause I've been upset, but they were over it and I was expected to be. And I don't do that with my kids. If they're still irritated with each other or something else or whatever, everyone, digest those kinds of things differently and in their time and I took a little bit longer I took longer than they did and I think that's another thing when you're dealing with a parent with a mental health issue or trauma or whatever it is sometimes you don't know what you're going to get for them from them 
So like if I went to my mom and said, hey, can I stay at so-and-so's house on Friday? She might say no that time. Why would you even ask? You didn't do this. Or the next time she might be like, yes, oh, go have fun. You're going to a sleepover. I never knew which one I was going to get. And that left me learning to walk on eggshells and also like evaluating people's moods before I even did anything. And that was a really unsafe feeling. Yeah. yeah. Always trying to like feel them out before you say anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That was that was difficult. Yeah. And I think for me too, like, so my dad was more reactive than my mom, definitely like initially more reactive. But the thing about my dad is the thing that he did really, really well is like, my mom is my dad's favorite person in this whole world. Like he really is. Yeah, she really is. Um, So he always respected the way that my mom did things, even though it was so different than how he was raised. And my dad, in a way, is very much a cycle breaker. You know, he grew up with a house with just screaming all the time. And um, he said, you know, he always knew when his parents were home from work because he could be down the block and he heard them screaming at each other. And he said, you know, his sister and him lived in in a house. And they didn't see each other for three years because as soon as they walked in, they just went right to their rooms and shut the door. So like they yeah. lived together, but they didn't even talk for like three years. Nobody saw each other. Um, and he, he and my mom, he never yell. Like there was none of that in my house. Yeah. There was like yelling or name calling. He never put my mom down like ever. There was nothing like that. Yeah. It was And yelling is such a big, loud noises are such a big thing for him like it immediately like he's so tense like like, that's that's how I get too I remember my father my grandparents came over from Italy and I can remember my dad telling me a story he had done something bad he was one of five and he was running for my grandfather because my grandfather would whoop him like pretty badly brutally and he's like I ran in the backyard and I climbed up a tree and I sat there and I was like you can't get me now my grandfather grabbed a lawn chair and sat under the tree and waited you know, for him to come down. So my, so I understood my dad being raised that way, why he thought yelling at me would work. But I also thought, you see, it's not working. You see, it's not working. You see your child is not reacting to it. And I'm really struggling. I was struggling in school. I was struggling with choices I was making. Like to me as a parent, that's the part I don't get is if you see what you're doing isn't working, that doesn't mean fix the child. That, that's a family dynamic issue. And I think that's where a lot of parents uh, don't make the best choices, I guess, because it was blamed on me. Like fix her, she's the bad one, she's this, when really it was the entire dynamic of the family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and we know that statistically to be true sure. because if you look at statistics for kids who have problematic behaviors in school and you send those kids to therapy, whether or not those problematic behaviors continue um, actually depends so much more on whether or not the parents went to therapy too. Yes. Because the, it, the results are pretty negligible between a child who has, you know, like disciplinary issues or problematic behaviors going to therapy or not going to therapy but if the parent goes to therapy the parents go to therapy either on their own or together the results are astronomically different yeah you know because it's it it always there's always that component is that it's not just you don't just have this 
problem kid or the, and I've yeah. said this a million times, no problem child ever wanted that role. No. But if you feel that you have no other options and that's the role that was handed to you, at some point you're going to embrace it. Yes. If you feel like this is what this is who I am, this is who you think I am and this is all I'm ever going to be, you're going to be like deal with it, live with it. That's and who that's I am. That's exactly what I did. That is exactly what I did because I got to a point where I was just like I'm never going to be what they want me to be. I'm never going to be my brother. I'm never going to be this. And mm -hmm. I just, I was like, I give up. I just totally gave up, but it was always, I was the issue. And I can't tell you how many times I would argue with my parents and then go up in my room and cry because I didn't want to do that. I did not want to yell. I did not want to be disrespectful or whatever. And yeah, I would go in my room and cry. And my parents are like, you're crying because you feel shame about what you did. I was crying because not only did I feel bad, but I, I loved them. I didn't want to argue with them. I just wanted them to just let me speak, just let me speak. And I was never allowed to. And so what happens when you have a child that's starting to spiral too, when you only support the child in the ways you're willing to and not supporting them in the ways they need, it's not going to work. They never said, what do you need? What are, what can we do? What can we change? It was always, you need to change this. You need to stop that. You need to do that. And there was so much pressure on me and I knew I was hurting my parents, but I was hurting too. When I was a child that had never navigated any of that, you know, and I, mean? I had so much resentment. I could remember my mom, I had built so much resentment off by the time I was like 15, my mom would ask me to do a simple thing. And I'd be like, and like, just do the bare minimum. I wanted to do nothing because I was so angry, but I loved her, but I was angry. It was a really, really difficult time. It was really hard. Yeah. And I think that's another thing. So my mom was always trying to find ways to help me. Like yeah. it was never about punishing me. And, uh, you know, and I did have some things that continued way longer than like would be considered age appropriate, you know, right. and I've talked about that so many times and a lot of people think that like, Oh, well then your mom didn't handle it the right way if you were still acting that way. But it's the thing is, is there's a very big difference between understanding that the way that you're acting is not the way that other kids are acting or is not age appropriate and having the skills and tools to be able to act in a way that yes. is and so that's what my mom was always focused on was, okay, she can't clean her room. Why isn't she cleaning her room? How can we help her to clean her room? You right. know, it was never about like, you didn't clean your room. Like it was, she never took anything as like a personal attack to her. Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? It was always about how, and my sister went through a really hard time as a teen. She had to move schools, um, left her friends. She tore her ACL, couldn't play oh sports. Gosh. And sports was her whole identity at that point in time. And um, she went through a really hard time because she had just moved from a place that she loved. She was having trouble making friends because she couldn't, she couldn't do it in the way that she wanted, which was always through sports. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the one thing that she loved the most was just taken from her and she went through a really hard time as a teen. And so she lashed out a lot and she was traditionally, you know, in our family, the much easier kid, you know, in all right. the way, she didn't struggle with executive function. She didn't have sleep issues. She didn't have, you know, 
But as a teen, she really started struggling. And my mom always said that she was like, I always just felt so bad for her. And you did like, you know, there was quite a few explosive moments because she was angry. She was, you know, hurting and, um, and it was never held against her. Nobody's ever brought it up, you know. And that is so important. That is so important because I had things thrown in my face that I did, like say I was on doing really well. Like I had been going to counseling, doing everything I've been doing well. And I would have one moment where I really struggled or had a little tiff with my mom, whatever it was. And all of my past behaviors would be brought up and thrown in my face or a bad choice. And when you do that, over and over. I, I loved softball. I loved basketball. I loved art. I quit doing all of that because I just, I started seeking out different friends that were not good friends because I was just looking for something to make me not feel that way, I think. Um, but I don't ever, I don't, throwing something in someone's face, especially as a teenager who hasn't navigated stuff like that is, it's cruel. It's mm-hmm. cruel to do that. And I think a lot of times um, parents will unintentionally take a kid's behavior and take it personally and yes. take it as an attack on them. And yes. then they respond as if they're being attacked by their child, you know, like as if it's intentionally destructive to them as a person, right. that they're malicious, you know, when it's not, a lot of times it has to do with the child struggling on their own. And I think that's one of the things that my mom always recognized that none of these things were malicious. None of these things were against her or, you know, it wasn't, well, I do all this for you. And you, how could you do this to me? Because I did this, this, and it was, you know, why, what they're like, like she said, she always just felt so bad for her because she was, and every time my sister would have an explosive, you know, thing happen and my mom would go to talk to her. She was like, it literally broke my heart. She'd be crying. She didn't, she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to act like that, you know? And eventually um, it just kind of stopped. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, all the things that were hurting and that you were working through didn't continue. Yeah. And it, it does for a lot of families because they turn it into the child's personality. They yes, turn it they- into this momentous thing that now they they can't the child can't overcome it they can't do better because even when they do better they're punished for doing better it's like yeah. well finally you could have been acting like that the whole time yes you know? yeah and it's like well i i am acting like that now so why are you mad at me again you know i or, and i mm-hmm. that that reminds me of this is the first time i knew i had a problem with reactiveness from my adhd and anxiety i think i had told this story before but we were, I went to North Carolina with my family on vacation, we're shopping and the shops were super crowded. My mom's like, let's go get a t-shirt, blah, blah, blah. And I go in the shop and there were so many people and so much noise and we had been at the beach and I was just, I felt, I didn't know I was having a panic attack but I could feel like something happening. And I just grabbed a shirt and I said, mom, can we please leave? I, I, I don't feel good. And she's like, you never feel good. Um, she's like, this isn't just about you. You wanna leave cause you got your t-shirt and you're being selfish. And when she said that to me, it hurt me so bad because I wasn't, I just felt my body needing to get out of the store. And so we stayed in there for like 20 more minutes. We go outside by that time. I'm in full, nobody touched me. I'm overstimulated, leave me alone. And we get in the car, we're driving home and we go around a turn and her shoulder touched mine and I flipped. I was like, don't touch me. And I screamed and I got in trouble and I had zero control. Like I had zero control over that coming out of my mouth. I was just so overstimulated 
and that was thrown in my face so much. Well, we can't take you shopping. Look how you acted last time. Are you sure you want to go in here? Remember what you did at the beach? Like, and it's so hard because as adults, we have control over those things much more than kids do. We have control over our environment. We understand what it is that we're feeling and we have the ability to react accordingly. And when our children don't have, are struggling in those ways, you know, with overstimulation and sensory issues or overload. And they, one, have never been taught what those things are or the communication to be able to express yes. that that's what they're mm-hmm. feeling. But they know that they're feeling something and it's bad. But it's scary. Yeah, and it's scary and it's bad, but they don't have the skills to be able to tell us what that feeling is. Yeah. And then if they, if they do, they're punished for feeling that way and they don't have the control over their environment to be able to get out of the place that's making them feel like that. Yeah. It's, you're set up for disaster, you're set up for failure, and then you're punished for failing. Yep. And that's, that's something that I, like, I feel like I try to talk a lot about is... Yeah why it's so important, like the connection with our kids, the communication with our kids. And if you have a kid in your home who you feel it, everything is a little bit harder with them. Everything feels more difficult with them. Start with the connection with that child versus because everybody wants to know the tools to make them behave differently. You don't get those tools through punishment and reward. You have to understand that child because they're lacking skills that they need or they're struggling in a way that we don't realize. And they're and- trying to figure it out too. You're both trying to figure it out. And the and we have to understand that kids aren't trying to give us a hard time. They're having a hard time. They're mm-hmm. having a hard time. And mm-hmm. if we as parents don't know what to do, how can we expect a little seven, eight, 10 year old to know how to tell us how they're feeling when we're struggling to connect? You know what I mean? But I think that's so true when we punish behaviors especially when the child doesn't have other options on how to communicate, like you said, or tell you what's going on or really understand themselves. It's just, it's hurtful. And it feels like you're punished for being you. It feels like when you're your authentic self, you're punished because you're too loud or you don't like crowds or you want to sit in a certain seat at the restaurant, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And, and, and that doesn't mean that we let our kids walk all over us or they, no. they just yeah. get to act a fool every, you know, because they didn't get a toy that they wanted or what, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's two totally different things that I feel yes. like people oftentimes mm-hmm. will try to make into the same thing to demonize a, the idea of respecting your kids yes. or to villainize it. But it's two totally different things because I'm not, I'm many things as a parent. I am not a pushover. Yeah, I am neither. Right. But, but there's you, when you are connected with your kids, when you understand your kids, it's about giving them skills and tools to cope with the things with, and if there are behaviors that are not acceptable, you know, regardless of where they're coming from, it's not about punishing them. It's about giving skills and tools to cope with them. Yeah. And replacing the behaviors. Right. Yeah. Because, because the idea is not to just, you know, to just become completely permissive and it's never going to be that way. But I do remember when you're talking about panic attacks, I've told that story many times about me having a panic attack my freshman year of high school. And, um, you know, so many people were like, Oh, not, I never would have put up with that. Blah, 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 blah. And I talked to my mom about that. And she was like, you know, the thing is though, is like when you know your kids really well and you know that something is not right with them and you know that something bigger is happening 
then you, this isn't just a kid who wants to skip a test. Something a lot more is happening. Yes. And when you know your kid well enough, then you react, you, you act. That's, that's exactly what it is, Jess. That's exactly what it is. It's just like, you know, all of my two, my two oldest are adopted. My youngest is my biological. They all have, oh, sorry. I just got a thing that said your meeting's ending. Um, they, we all have struggles, but it's also like you said, if you see your child thriving and being a good friend and and working hard and doing all like they're they're well-rounded and they're doing really great things and they have a bad day that bad day doesn't wipe away everything else that they've done or that they have worked towards they're just having a hard time or it might be a hard week or a hard month or whatever but that doesn't negate everything else good that they've done and I feel like a lot of times when a kid starts having a hard time parents forget everybody has hard times nobody's perfect. And I think also getting the idea out of your mind that obedience is your first goal. I said it, you do it. I had to get that out of my head because when you're raised that way, that's how I planned to parent because that's all I knew. But I had to replace that with, I want mutual respect between me and my children so they feel safe coming to me in the tough moments and not talking to another 13 year old for advice. I want them to feel safe coming to me with stuff. And that's not their job to facilitate that. That's mine. That's my job as a parent to make them feel safe being able to come talk to me and do all that. Right. And, and that's another that like, so I did grow up, I grew up with gentle parenting, but that doesn't mean that I didn't make mistakes that I didn't, you know, do things that looking back. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it that way. Right. But the first person that I always went to was my mom. The first, if I made a mistake, if I needed help with something and, and everybody said, you know, a lot of people will, will kind of be like, well, you should have done it in the first place. So like, okay, great. But like, nobody is free of making mistakes, but it's yeah. what do you do afterwards? Yes. How do you take accountability? How do you, you know, and, and what do you do moving forward? And yeah. when you have somebody to help you guide that when you're a young adult, when you're a teenager makes a world of difference because absolutely are going to make mistakes. Yeah. They're going and everybody is not just teenagers, yeah. but most often teenagers will rely on other teenagers to help guide them through those. And, and that's it's dangerous. It's it put dangerous. me in so many dangerous situations because my parents had no idea what I was doing. I would say I'm going to Christine's and I'm really going to whoever's house mm-hmm. and all of my information on friendships, relationships, sex, everything was from other teenagers. And that is, I was in so many dangerous situations where I could, my parents had no clue and I would have given anything to be able to go and get advice from my mom or from someone I felt safe with. And I had no one, I had no one to talk to, but other teenagers. Um, And that is, it was not fun. It was not fun. And I got in a lot of trouble. And looking back now, I honestly think all of that could have been partially avoided. I was still a little wild, but I think it could have been avoided by just them listening a little more than they talked that's all I needed I just needed them to listen and not be reactive but because they were so reactive with everything 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 I did not feel safe being honest with them because I knew if I told them I would have to please don't freak out can I tell you this I would like be begging them please don't freak out and they would how can you feel safe going to someone when you know you're going to be berated for it you know and then the other thing is you know 
I still probably would have been a little wild. So that's another thing. So me, I'm a true extrovert, right? I was not going to go to college and not party, like not go to parties, not be around. But because uh, my mom, you know, she would always talk to me. She told me stories about her. She was, you know, she told me it was never going to be like, oh, I went to college and I just, you know, sat in my dorm reading instead of going out with my friends or whatever, you know? Yeah. she, you know, told me stories about her and, you know, being able to talk through that and understanding like, okay, if I go to parties, I'm not a bad kid. I'm not, right. you know, I'm not doing anything. And her relating, she was relating to you. And that's so important with teenagers. Yeah. And still being able to, for the most part, almost always make responsible choices because you had talked to somebody who, you know, told you their own stories and yes. told and, you know, there is, you, you do feel more prepared for those things and protected, Yeah, uh, you know. And you knew if you did make a mistake or a bad choice, she was going to help you through it, not mm-hmm. tell you, you're so irresponsible. How could you do that? You knew you were going to be met with someone that wanted to hear you and listen and help you through that stuff. Um, and it helps you navigate uh, situations or circumstances that you feel are difficult. So this, this is a quick, good story about my dad. So I, um, when I was in college, I had a coach that I just, you know, a lot of people can relate to the idea of having a coach that makes you hate the sport you loved. Right. And I had, (laughs) yeah, I had that in college. I had a coach that just made me hate the sport that I loved for my entire life. I was a D one athlete. That was, I loved it. Um, and he helped walk me through a conversation that I had with the coach about something that I thought was like, in a, that I did not appreciate, didn't like, um, that I wanted to like confront. And my dad helped talk to me about, you know, ways to go about that. So, you know, yes, I'm handling the situation on my own. I also have guidance from somebody else. And I'm not just ignoring a situation that I didn't think was, you know, appropriate appropriate or right. I was able to confront it with guidance on my own in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, Um, and that's, and I think, I honestly think that is one of the main reasons why when we give our kids a voice and we teach them how to communicate and advocate for themselves, they will be in less unsafe situations because they won't just say, yes, sir, no, ma'am, because you're an adult, I'm going to do what you say. They can find their voice. And if they're uncomfortable or in an unsafe situation, they'll voice it. They won't cower and say, well, you're an adult, so I have to do anything you say, or you're my teacher, so I have to do anything you say. I think that's so important mm-hmm. for kids to know that they can do those things and advocate for themselves. I see my kids do it when they were yep. working at that job and it was toxic. My daughter was, you know, you're not going to speak to me that way. Don't yell at me. Like, cause yep. the manager was screaming at all the waitresses and stuff. Like that was amazing. Yep. And it's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, so many people will put up with toxic environments because, you know, toxicity or even violence and love have always been intertwined with them in their their entire life. And they've also been told this idea that I'm doing this because I love you or because I care about you. It hurts me more than it hurts you. (laughs) Right. Yes. So then you get into these toxic work environments, you know, and even just like leaving the personal relationship things aside. Because the statistics on that are clear, but you get into these toxic work environments and you have these bosses or, um, you know, these people who are supposed to be leading you, um, berating you, yelling at you, acting in a toxic way. And 
in their minds, they, they're okay with it because yeah. it almost feels like, well, if they didn't care, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. But there is a way to teach and guide without, you know, being abusive. Yes. Cause that sets other. them up for, what does that set them up for? If we're yelling and spanking and punishing and berating, it's setting them up. We're teaching them what to expect. So we're setting them up to accept that from boyfriends or girlfriends or partners or someone else to accept all those behaviors that they should be saying, you're not going to treat me that way. This relationship's over or I'm walking out or whatever the case may be, but it sets them up to accept way less than they deserve because they equate that with love and it's not. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good place to end. Thanks for hanging out guys. And we'll see you next week.